It's always exciting when you come back after being gone for a month and you stick your key in your office door and make sure it still works. Because <laughs> you're never quite sure, did somebody change the locks on me and they have an appointment, we have something to talk to you about. And so, fortunately, it still worked. But it's good to be back with you and excited for what God has for us this Sunday, but uh, really leading into September. Statistically, we have uh, experienced the fact that a lot of people come to church about two times a month. That seems to be an average of what happens because there's other things we're involved with. My encouragement for all of us in this room, and it'll be for the second hour as well, is that for the month of September, you come every Sunday. Make a commitment for every Sunday to be here because we have such an important ministry we want to unpack before you and allow you to be part of something that God is going to do in moving in people's lives that's bringing significance and power and blessing to everyone who will be part of that ministry. And you're going to be given something that's going to be a tool that will carry you through something we have never done before here at Calvary Church, but it will be a tool that will help guide you and us together in some of the most important things that God ever has called us to be a part of. So please join us next Sunday. And if you've got Labor Day friends who are gone for the weekend, be sure to let them know about it as well. And we're really sort of beginning it today as we talk about living free from generation to generation. We want to pass on the faith that we have. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. And it was their task to pastor that church. But most importantly, it was their task to pastor myself and our family, to give to us what they had so that we could give to those who follow us. We want that to happen. There was a study that was presented by an organization called the National Study of Youth and Religion. This National Study of Youth and Religion wanted to assess what causes the generations that follow us to continue to follow Jesus Christ. And that study found three things that are essential for our children and grandchildren to follow the faith that we enjoy. Three things. You might want to take a note, but I think it's going to become obvious. Three things the study found. Number one, that a child grows up in a home that doesn't just say that they believe in Jesus Christ on Sundays, but that a child grows up in a home that actually lives the Christian faith Monday through Saturday. That child actually is experiencing the life of Christ in the home, during the week, it's ex on exhibit A, it is clearly manifested in behavior, attitudes, and outlooks, and vision, and perspective. When a child grows up in the context where what the parents say they believe on Sunday is actually experienced Monday through Saturday in that home, that's number one priority for that child to have a faith that follows the faith of their parents and grandparents. Item number two, that that child grows up in a context where there is a, another person beside their parents who becomes a mentor or discipler of that child. In our church, it might be somebody in our high school ministries, somebody in our junior high ministries, where we have invested a lot in volunteers who give their time to lead a small group. And in those small groups and in those small Bible studies and in those activities that they have in the course of the week that is beyond just what happens on Sunday, that mentor, that discipler, that leader of that small group becomes that instrumental person in that young adult 
or child's life. Because not always the parents are the place to go to talk about some of the issues. We recognize as parents that we need a third party, a mentor who is a follower of Jesus to help and pass on that faith. Thus, Calvary Church. And the third thing that was essential in a child growing up to be a follower of the faith of the parents and the grandparents is not just parents that live it at home, not just a mentor who helps to support that child, but thirdly, that that child comes to a faith, a true born-again faith followership of Jesus Christ before the age of 17. And if done before the age of 17 and experienced those two others of a mentor and a family that actually lives the faith, you have great odds. There are no odds with God, but you have great odds, humanly speaking, that that child's going to become a follower of the faith of the parents and the grandparents. We want to be a church that facilitates those three qualities. And we've invested a lot that it would happen in this coming month. We will show you more ways to make that a possibility. And this morning I want to focus a little bit on this generation passing on to generation by going to a wonderful text in Joshua chapter 4. Let me just set it up. You don't want to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, but here is the context of what we're about to look at very briefly, if you will. In Joshua chapter 4, the Israelites have left Egypt. They're leaving Egypt. They've been set free from the bondage of Pharaoh. And now they have come to the Jordan River. They've passed through the Red Sea, the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, and the Pharaohs and his army are swallowed up by the Red Sea. And they keep on marching in the wilderness walk. And they're coming down to the Jordan River. Moses has died. Joshua is now in charge. Joshua is going to take the people into the land that we know of today as Israel. And there might be a million plus people that are there at the Jordan River and they can't get across the Jordan River. But God says, I want to provide for you a way to get through the Jordan River so that you can now occupy the land, the promised land that I gave to Abraham. I want you now to occupy that land. You've been set free from Egypt and the bondage and there's a spiritual metaphor of that and the Passover and the shedding of the blood. And now you have been set free to enter into the land, the promised land of all the promises God has for you. And so they've come to the Jordan River. They can't get through the Jordan River because the Jordan River there is flowing. And so God comes along and He says this to Joshua in Joshua 4.1. Now when all the nations had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from among the people, one man from each tribe. Command them saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So God has come to them. He parts the Jordan River. They pass on dry land and they are able to enter in the promised land as they are passing over the Jordan River. As you would see it today, as they pass over that Jordan River, here is what's happening. As instructed in Joshua chapter 4, just to summarize it. Number one, the priest and the Ark of the Covenant went into this dry land where the Jordan River used to exist. And now the priest and the Ark of the Covenant, they stand there where hundreds of thousands of Jewish people pass through that Jordan River on dry land. Before the Jewish people go, the armed individuals, the armed men, about 40,000, they pass before them to be providing protection. And now the passageway allows all the people, the children, the animals, the livestock, everybody goes to the Jordan River on dry land as the Jordan River has been stopped by God. And then finally, as the last of the people go through, the priest 
at the Ark of the Covenant, they exit the dry land of the Jordan River. But before they go on, God gives this command to them. God says, now that you have left the Jordan River, before I allow the Jordan River to come back and flow again, I want you to go back into the Jordan River on that dry land. Trust me, I won't let the water come yet. But you go back and you gather together 12 stones. They would be stones that would be exactly like these stones. And I want you to pick those 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan River, and then I want you to pile them on the outside of the Jordan River after the Jordan River flows back so that those 12 stones remain a memorial to the work I've done in parting the Jordan Sea, Jordan River, and allowing you to pass through it. And that's what they did. They gathered those stones together. Then they took those stones, as it says, in the lodging place. They carried those stones eight miles to a city called Gilgal. The city called Gilgal, as you can barely see it on the map there, but the red line shows where the Jewish people went. These hundreds of thousands plus their livestock passed through this Jordan River. They put the stones by the side of the river and they carried those stones then with them to Gilgal. And there they put together this memorial. The memorial is something of a circular of the rocks because the name Gilgal means circle. You can go to Israel today in the Golan Heights in the northern part above the Sea of Galilee by Syria and Lebanon. There is this feature that is up there that was created 5,000 years ago. This was in existence when the uh, Joshua and his team parted through the Jordan River. And this is a location that is called Gilgal. And I suspect that what they did is when they built those rocks in Gilgal that was by the Jordan River, they didn't necessarily pile them like this, but they probably put them in a circle. Because God says pagans built this memorial to something we don't know about today. But I want there to be a circular memorial to my work that what I have done in your life, you won't ever forget. So that's the background of what is happening here to these people. And in Joshua 4, he explains why I want you to build a circular memorial eight miles from the Jordan River in the city called Gilgal, the circle city. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Why are these stones lying there? Much like we asked, why are those stones lying there in the Golan Heights? We don't know. But these stones that lay in Gilgal, what do these stones mean? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. It was a miracle. It didn't just happen by the fluke of nature. It wasn't a drought. God did it. God stopped the water. The hundreds of thousands were able to pass. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. And says, that's why I want you to do it. There is no other reason to build a memorial, not for the people who went across as they would feel good about building something. I want the generations yet to come to know that I am a God and I do great things. And there are two things that he wants those children to know. And number one, what should we reveal? That these truths we pass on to our children and our children's children, that God allows impossible challenges so we turn to him for help. In Joshua 3, they came to the Jordan River. There's no way to get through the Jordan River. How do we get beyond the Jordan River? Why did God bring us here just to perish at the Jordan River? Why does God bring tragedies? Why does God bring suffering? Why does God bring impossible situations? Why does He bring us to financial distress? Why do I lose my job? Why do I get cancer? 
Why are these terrible things happening to me at school? Why do the teachers, why do the professors, why are my grades not what I want them to be? Why does God allow impossible challenges in my life? Because God brings us to proverbial, metaphorical Jordan Rivers, if you will, so that we have no place to go but to Him. God loves to bring us to impossible challenges so that we have to turn to Him. And every time those children would walk by that Gilgal circular memorial of rocks and those children would look at those rocks and they say, Dad, why are those rocks there? Those parents would teach their children, God brings us to impossible Jordan River. We couldn't cross it on our own, but God made a way for us to get through it. And now would you tell to the children yet to come that these are memorial markers for that. So God brings us to impossible places so that we have to turn to Him. Now it's not easy. I read this last week. There's a young man by the name of Abraham Piper. Some of you uh, know his parents, his father, John Piper. How many of you have heard or read books of John Piper? He's a significantly well-known pastor. Uh, up in the northern part, I believe, in the Minnesota area. John Piper actually had a, uh, a significant sabbatical because he just found that he didn't like the way he was. He found himself living in pride and anger and frustration. This John Piper, well-known, outspoken, strong teacher of God's Word, writer of significant books that are so insightful. John Piper had to step away from ministry because he didn't like where he was, spiritually speaking. So he took this significantly long sabbatical, something like close to a year, because he didn't like where he was spiritually. Well, John has children. One of his sons, his name's Abraham. And Abraham, for four years, wanted nothing to do with his father, John Piper. Wanted nothing to do with his wonderful ministry in church. He walked away so that he could go... And as the way Abraham describes it, he says, I wanted to go and experience liquor and women. I just wanted to live my own life. After about four years of that, Abraham came back to the faith, came back to be a follower of Jesus, came back to respect his dad once again. Abraham Piper then wrote what we should know to help Abrahams that are like him today come back to the faith that is represented by the memorials of our lives. And these are some of the things that Abraham said. He said, if you've got a wayward son or a child or a grandson or a granddaughter, don't expect them to be Christ-like. They're not Christ-like. Don't, in my view, don't be moralistic. Don't make them act like a Christian when they're not a Christian. Don't expect them to have Christian values when they don't have Christ in them. He says, if your son is not a Christian, he won't act like one. And it's hypocrisy if he does. This most dangerous problem is unbelief, not partying. No matter how your child's behavior proves his unbelief, always be sure to focus more on his heart's sickness than its symptoms. We sometimes preach against symptoms. We sometimes as parents work on symptoms. But we forget what is the core unbelief of the heart. He also said, welcome them home. If he has any inkling to be with you, don't make it hard for him. Obviously, there are instances where parents must give ultimatums. Don't come to this house if you're doing something obviously terrible. But these are rare. In most cases, if your daughter stinks like weed or an ashtray, spray her jack with Febreze, change the sheets when she leaves, but let her come home. 
He goes on to say, if you find out that she's pregnant, then buy her folic acid and take her to the 20-week ultrasound and protect her from Planned Parenthood. And by all means, let her come home. If your son is broke because he spent all the money you lent him on loose women and ritzy liquor, then forgive his debt as you have been forgiven and don't give him any more money. I don't think I needed to tell you that. But let him come home. If he hasn't been around for a week and a half and because he's been staying at his girlfriend or boyfriend's apartment, urge him not to go back, but let him come home. And then finally he says, point them to Christ. The rebellious child's real problem is not drug, sex, cigarette, porn, laziness, crime, cussing, slovenliness, homosexuality, or being in a punk band, or tattoos or piercings. The real problem is that your child doesn't see Jesus clearly. Jesus will replace the money, or the praise of man, or the high, or the sex, that they are staking their eternities on right now. Only His grace can draw them from their perilous pursuits and bind them safely to Him, captive but satisfied. From a prodigal son of John Piper. We want to pass on our faith, and some of us feel like the faith of our children is lost. It's not. We are still reclaiming those that Christ is seeking. The second thing is not just what we reveal, but we, how we reveal them with tangible memorials. We give people things so that they will help them to remember those things. Because we are prone to forget what God does. We forget, we forget, we forget. I can barely remember what I did yesterday. I don't expect you to remember much of what I say today, tomorrow. Because I don't remember much of what I say today, tomorrow. We tend to forget. One of the great examples of that and why God had them build a memorial of rocks around Gilgal after the Jordan Sea because they forgot about the Red Sea. In Exodus chapter 14, you read there that Jews believed in God and He parted the Red Sea. Biggest miracle. One of the biggest miracles in the Old Testament. Then in Exodus 15, they have a worship service and they praise God. They dance before God. They celebrate God. We've done, you've done great mighty things for us in Exodus 15, the next days. And then finally in Exodus 16, just days after that, they begin grumbling at God. They're complaining to God. Why are you so unfair to us, God? In days after the Red Sea, the Jews had forgotten the goodness and the power of God. We forget. So God says we need memorials. We need those things that help us to remember that we serve a living and loving God. We need that to help us to stay fast as to where He has us. Here's an interesting statistic, how we learn. We learn what we learn through taste, 1%. Through touch, 1.5%. Through smell, 3.5%. Through hearing, 11%. But what we see, we learn 85%. How do we remember? We remember 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear. So you will remember tomorrow 20% of what you hear today. 80% of my time is being wasted right now. (laughs) And your time, to be a matter of fact. We have 30% of what we see. We remember 50% of what we see and hear. We remember 70% of what we hear and tell. And we remember 90% of what we tell and demonstrate. Discipleship is telling and demonstrating. Telling 
and demonstrating with those things that helps it stick. We need, we need those things that helps us to remember to God. Sometimes it is facilities. One of the things that we would love to have here is a student ministry center, a place where students come and remember the work of God. In fact, I would love to have a student ministry center where we have a memorial of sorts like this, and every time the students walk in, they say, what in the world is that for? And we say, well, we didn't know how we could afford it, but we believed God for it, and the people of Calvary gave to it, and God provided it. Memorials help us remember God. And God does things in locations. I see our good friend, Carrie Trevanovich. Carrie, let me share. His dear wife, Joanna, passed away, what, about two weeks ago or so now. I was at Joanna. Joanna and I were at Joanna's memorial service over here in the nicely, refreshly restored Sandswick Chapel. And what a wonderful, that was one of the best memorial services I think I've ever been to at Carver Church. It was a blessing. And impromptu, Carrie got up and shared. And what I remember from Carrie sharing is getting up there and he said, it was on this platform almost 25 years ago that Joanna and I were married. And here I am sharing at her memorial service on this same location. Something happens when you go to the place of significant spiritual events in our lives and it triggers within our mind the work of God and the blessings of God to remember God and what God wants us to do with that. To have a student center where students can come back ten years later and say, it was right there, I was meeting with my small group. It's still here, I still see some of the same things, I still smell the same things, I still experience the same things. This is what God has done. And just to throw a little bit more on top, it struck me, and with this I'm going to stop, but it struck me. You know, if you go to, we've been over in Israel a few months ago, and one of the things that's iterate, you go down layers and layers and layers to to get to the generation of King David and King Solomon because it gets buried over time. And then once you excavate those rooms, you say, well, this must be the room where that happened, this must be the room where that happened, and we begin to assess what happened in those rooms. If in 2,000 years Calvary Church was covered over by the soot and dirt of just life and somebody excavated Calvary Church and dug down, well, this, this must have been the worship center. This is where that old guy Dave Mitchell must have stood when he preached. That's Sanzuk Chapel, named after Michael Sanzuk, one of the pastors. They would not find a student place. They would ask, where did the students meet? What was their room? Where did they study? Where were they taught? Where did they worship? What was their location? It would not be found. We want to leave a legacy from generation to generation For by these God has granted us precious and magnificent promises that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We have precious and magnificent promises, but Peter says 
Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. We want things that remind people of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present within you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. And that's what we're trying to do today. I've said before, it's easy for a church to grow old. I've grown old whether I wanted to or not. And some of you would vouch for that, (laughs) right? I can't grow younger. For a church, it's easy to grow old. What I have a commitment to is to take those of us who have gray hair, and we're so important to the cause of Christ, and take us gray-haired people and pass on the faith that we have to those who have yet to experience the gray hairs that we enjoy so that they too can be followers of Jesus. Generation to generation so that they might remember and know that I am the God who does the impossible, sets them free, living free, followers of Jesus Christ. There's no greater calling than passing on our faith to those that love Jesus. That's why we have the students, those that you've heard worshiping up here, they're a byproduct of the ministry that we have invested in as a congregation. They have grown up through our, congreg- through our Calvary Church ministries. We're thankful for, for Ben Britton, for the others that are up here. We're thankful for the investment of your time, finances, and commitment. Thank you for that. I want to to meet another who has been a byproduct of the ministry of this generation, intergenerational ministry that we want to continue to pursue. I'm going to invite Doug Brown to come on up here. Doug is our high school pastor, but uh, he is also part of the legacy that is here at Carver Church. So, Doug, share with us. It's all right. Yes, I am Doug Brown. I'm the high school pastor. If you could see, there's probably a lot of high school students over this way. You see them over there. I'm their, I'm their pastor. Um, I want to tell you uh, my story, and I want to tell you the story of my life here at Calvary. And to do that, I'm going to give you an analogy first. Um, say you take a large tree, right? You look at the tree. It's beautiful, lots of leaves. It's big. It's hard to tell at first glance the history of the tree, the story of that tree. But then if you were to take it and you were to chop it in half and you take a a slice, if you will, of the tree, a layer of it, and you could put it on a table, you could see all of the rings of that tree, right? And you could see, and someone who knows about trees, not me, but they could look and they could say that this line here represents the I don't know, the great flood of whenever. And then this line here is, well, there was a drought that year. And then maybe this line over here, we noticed that there was the, the, the great bird attack of 1940s or whatever it may be on that tree. And you kind of get a picture of what's happening. And I think sometimes when we come to Calvary on a Sunday morning and we're here, we're, we're existing here, it's hard to see the history of what's happened. It's hard to see this ancient story of remembering God's faithfulness and passing faith on to the next generations. It's hard to see that happening until we take, if you will, a slice of what's happening here at Calvary. And what I want to do this morning is be that slice for you. I want to have my testimony, my story, serve as a a witness to, to what's happened here at Calvary. 
And why me? Well, I, I truly think I'm a good example of this. I've been here my whole life, and you'll hear in a second. But I've been to every ministry. I've been to every trip. I've come every Sunday and every Wednesday for my entire life. And I've gone on every missions trip. I've gone on everything you could imagine. And now I work here. And now I'm speaking on Sunday. And every day I'm here. I close my eyes at night, and I just see... Pastor Dave's face looking back at me, right? I, I live and breathe Calvary. And not that that makes me special or anything. I think it just makes me a good, a test subject, if you will, of the people who have poured into my life. So, my story. In 1984, they built the gym here on campus. My parents came to Calvary for the first time, and I was born. It was a big year for Orange County. And... <laughs> And, and in 1984, they brought me very quickly to the nursery, which is down in the basement down there. My father used to call it the baby zoo. I don't know if this is a common name for what that area used to be, but I was in the baby zoo a lot, right? And then I graduated from there and I went to something called GFC, which stands for Guys and Girls for Christ. We don't do this anymore. It was our fourth through sixth grade ministry. And I remember I have this vivid memory of being on the second story of our, of our church here and shooting a squirt gun made out of PVC pipes. And I thought... Church is just the coolest place in the entire world, right? And I remember there for the first time, though, hearing about the gospel, hearing who God was, who Jesus was, how this story um, intertwined in my life. And it really started to grow in me a love for God. Moving on from there, I went to the junior high program. We met in uh, Fellowship Hall back when, does anyone remember when Fellowship Hall had a stage? It did, believe it or not. And it was awesome. And I remember... Specifically, I remember a moment there with someone named Scott Young, who doesn't, he's probably not here anymore, but he used to be our worship leader, and he led us every Sunday and every Wednesday with leaders like Jeff Biddle and Matt Shia and being there. And I remember for the first time ever, this was a big deal to me, I lifted my hands in worship for the first time. And for me, it was so much more than just, oh, now I'm lifting my hands in worship, no big deal. It was an investment, a commitment, if you will, to say, I actually. I actually truly believe this. Look, I'm committing. Look, to everyone around me, I'm committing and lifting my hands in worship. And without the prompting by my, high, my junior high pastor and, and Scott Young leading us in worship, I don't know if I would have ever lifted my hands in that moment. And then moving on, I, I went to the high school program. Uh, I have a fun, couple fun stories for you. Uh, my first high school pastor was Jeff Biddle. Uh, he might not be here this morning, but you guys, do you guys know who Jeff Biddle is? He's worked here for a long time. Awesome. Jeff Biddle, I remember on a Wednesday night, I was showed up. I was uh, 15 years old. I was coming on a Wednesday night. We were right over here in the choir room, and I walk in, and Jeff Biddle is sitting there. He's sitting on a stool, and he is, don't worry, I'll go somewhere with this. He's systematically telling us why he no longer believes in God and why he no longer believes in Christianity, and he's walking away from the faith. Don't worry, he was joking, but for me... He's being real serious, and he's not letting on. It's maybe now 10 minutes, now 15 minutes, and he won't stop this act. And I'm having just a metaphysical meltdown of everything I believe. I'm like, shouldn't Pastor Dave be here? This is a big deal, right? He can't just talk to us like this. And I'm going through it in my mind. Well, no, he, he, no there's, so many, there's so much evidence, there's so much truth that he's not getting but I don't know, do I really get it? I'm really confused. And what it did, he let on eventually that he was joking and he was helping us see why we're there, why we come on Wednesday nights, why we come on Sundays. Uh, and, and for me, it was a huge milestone in my life to help me understand why I'm here. Because if I'm being honest in high school, and I know a lot of our high school students, we are there for great reasons, but they are primarily 
maybe friendships, community, fun. And those are all great things. But for the first time in my life, I had to deal with the truth of God and the life-saving redemption in his son. Is that why I'm really there? Because if you take that aspect out of it, what are we even really doing? And it really awakened something to me for the first time that I had never been awakened before. And I started to pursue my faith, pursue what it would look like to really understand the truth of God and the truth of the scriptures. And getting older, um, Matt Doan became my high school pastor. My small group leader was actually Tim Nellis, uh, who's back here working at Calvary. And it was an amazing time for me. As I'm getting older, I'm starting to graduate. I remember sitting in a, in a playground school bus that clearly did not fit six high school guys, but we were all crammed in there in this playground over here in between the A and the B building, right? And we're in there and Tim Nellis is talking to us and he's helping us understand as we get older, as we graduate, what are we doing with our faith? We have been poured into for so long. And now as we graduate, what are we doing with that? Where are we going? And I looked at Matt Doan. I looked at Tim Nellis and these guys, I saw the faithfulness of God through them, showing me and pointing me to Christ. And I said, more than anything, like Dave was talking about, more than anything, watching them live their life, hearing them speak into me, made me want to act like them. And it sent me on a huge journey of self-discovery after high school. I traveled to Austria. I went to Bible school. I worked at Hume Lake. And eventually, long story short, I got married in there. I got, uh, worked at a restaurant. And as I'm working at this restaurant, I felt the call to come back to Calvary and be a pastor. And to work specifically with high school students. Because as much as I had been poured into, I wanted to pour into others. And it brought me here to Calvary today. And I can't tell you the amount of wonderful things happening in student ministries. The amount of students I work for, work with. I think about people like RJ Signs, like Kyle Bergstrom. These people who were seniors when I came back and started working in the high school group. They are now peers working alongside of me being life group leaders. And they are even training up younger life group leaders. I think of Justin Metcalf. I think of Jamie Lynn Cummings. These people who were high school students just years ago now actually work at Calvary and have been inspired and poured into so much so that they say, I want to pour into others. And they're working here. And it's an amazing thing to see. And at this point, I even think of, especially I think of the band up here today, maybe even especially I think of my brother-in-law, Ben Harris, who today is actually his last day. Uh, at Calvary because he has been poured into so much. He has grown so much. He has come to a point where he can lead people in worship and he, he wants to keep doing that. And he goes to go to a new church to continue to do that. Gosh, I even think of Matt Hempel up here playing guitar, who's part of the prodigal church plant. The people who have been poured into here at Calvary are now going out to pour into others. And that's a huge deal. I think especially now, even at this moment, of my story in my life, and even on this Sunday morning, my story and you all collide right now in this moment. Because for the first time, I think in a long time, Calvary is going to be investing in young people like they never have before. For so many years, Calvary has invested in the next generations. But in the next couple months, they will so in a way that you've never seen before. You're going to hear about the Generation Project and what it would be like to give students a home so that we don't have to have life-changing moments in a beat-up old school bus playground set, but we can be in a place where we can actually remember. That school bus set is long gone. It was beat up and not safe. So it's gone, right? But what would it be like to actually give students a place where they have 
somewhere to call home, somewhere to grow roots, and, and to feel safe, and to feel wanted, and, and in love. What would it be like to do that? We're going to talk about discipleship. What would it be like to multiply the faith that God has given us? And as we go into this next series, we talk about passing on our faith to the next generation. But even then, I think the, the next series, this multiply series, it's not just another series. A, a room in a basement isn't just another room in a basement. A student center is not just some other room. Both of these things, they represent, they represent a resolution to invest in the next generation. They represent a, a commitment of faith to say that if we don't pass on our faith, if we don't actively grow younger, then what are we doing? And I want to encourage you, and I want to say that the future of Calvary is actually sitting here with you this morning. Literally, they might be sitting right next to you, the younger people that are here with us. They are the future of Calvary, and they're the future of Christianity. So I'm asking you, in the next couple months, when these things come up, invest in them. Learn about them. Put yourself out there. So many of you are already doing this and serving in such wonderful ways. I want the rest of you, and I would long for the rest of you to just invest. See how you can invest. And let me end by encouraging you in this way. I truly think if it weren't for my parents who came here and brought me to the baby zoo, if it weren't for my parents, if it weren't for people like Jeff Biddle, people like Matt Doan, people like Tim Nellis, people like Melissa Broche, Eric Wakeling, Dave, all these people who have built into me over the years, I don't know if I would be here. I don't know what my life would look like. And you most likely are that for someone else. And if you're not, you can be. So I encourage you to invest. There's a lot of things coming up. Invest in them. Know them. Let me encourage you one final time by showing you what's happened this summer. A lot of good things have happened and a lot of amazing stories are being written as we speak and the next generation is being built into. Let me show you a video of what's happened this summer and as you watch it, be encouraged and think about how you can invest. Um, before this summer, I was like always afraid of sharing my faith and like going to other people and telling them I was a Christian or like just showing like by my actions that I was a Christian. And I think that now, after I've gone to like summer camp at Hume Lake, um, I realized that I don't really have to live with fear because I know that God is always with me. He taught me how to serve with a full heart and be one of his disciples. He called us to make disciples of all the nations, and that's what I want to do with my life from now on. I just solely want to focus on God. God has, wouldn't have given me these passions and these things that I'm good at if he didn't want me to use them. And so I'm still, I still have to like listen and still put him first in my life. But it's just been really awesome that when I've come to realize that uh, I, the way I can serve him is through things that I love because he's kind of given those things to me and that's how I'm supposed to use them. Well, during the summer I ha was really afraid of spreading God's word to everyone and once I went to Mission Arizona, it really taught me that everyone needs Jesus so I should really spread my faith and spread God's word to everyone. And at Hume Lake this year, I got to understand what it's like to just without caring and just totally worship and it was really fun. So ever since then, I love to worship, and I'm never worried about what others will think. I really thought, like, oh, I'm, like, I'm so young, I, I can't do any for anything for God, but He showed me that He's put me in places where He wants me to be, 
be a light for him, and he's just really showed me that. Why are your lips purple? <laughs> My lips are purple because I am on a houseboat trip, and we have all these little lovely colored zinc <laughs> lipstick things, so mm -hmm. been applying that so I don't get sunburned on the lips. <laughs> um, I grew up at Calvary uh, ever since I was in the nursery even. And have grown up going through every age group. Went through all the, the ministries, so from elementary to junior high, high school, and now college, and then even past college, you know, now coming back and helping. My first big exposure to college group was the houseboat trip my freshman year, and I felt so incredibly welcome um, and just really accepted right off the bat and I didn't feel like I had to to impress anyone or um, be someone that I wasn't. I was just able to be fully myself and people were super loving and really reached out and I think that our foundation family is really good at that. I think one of the biggest things for me was um, just having great leaders who invested into me and, and who really um, just showed the love of Christ, who just embodied it, who put flesh and blood to the love of Christ um, in my life and that through their example they allowed me to want to go back and help. Because I was invested in, um, I just had a big heart and a big passion for returning that in some way. Um, and so I started out with a group of girls um, in seventh grade and I'm just gonna move up with them because I had a leader who did the same and um, just definitely wanted to give back to Calvary because I have felt so invested in throughout the years. Even as I went on travel to other places and came back, you know, I, I didn't fully feel home until I came back to Calvary. My hope for Calvary in the future is that people my age will will step up and will become leaders in different areas of Calvary uh, and just We'll kind of take charge of that and then continue to invest in the lower generations and continue to just have this cycle because growing up I was so invested in and all my friends were so invested in and just to see that come full circle would be really neat of just um, having my friends and myself be leaders in the church. I hope that it just continues to be a place where people can meet Jesus. I hope. My prayer is that Calvary Church is, is that place for people. Ever bless his name. Oh, let all that lives ever bless his name. So that's what we want to do is pass on that. And our thanks to our wonderful worship leaders. Here's Britton. You just saw her on video. You can't see her. She's standing in the dark yet still this, to this moment. And Ben Harris, you, you may see Randy Harris over in the bookstore. This is Randy and Tammy's uh, fine young son here. Ben's a real kick. And so we're, we're thankful for these who are our, our investments. They, they are those that people have invested their lives in. And I want to be very clear here, maybe if there is some cross-messaging going on. Our multiplied discipleship ministry that we're going to embark upon next Sunday is not a major campaign finance <laughs> fundraising event, believe me. That's not what we're doing. 
what you're going to be hearing about is how we can invest in people's lives. And sometimes I have heard when we talk about students and a lot like this, occasionally I've heard this. Being an older guy now, I can say this because I'm one of us. Uh, that we can sometimes say, well, what about me? What about my age group? What are you going to do for me? You know what? That's a wonderful question. Because what about me? It's my opportunity to have a significant impact upon those that follow me. Because we're always one generation away from losing our faith. So what about me? Yeah, I want to be part of that that helps to invest in those that follow us. And it's not just investing to generations down, but lateral to those that are part of my generation. We need to be all about that. So coming up this next month, we will train you. We will give you tools. We will release you. We will give you freedom to know how you can be part of that and all the manifestations of the gifts that each of us have and use those gifts for his ministry. We're going to receive our offering now. I'm going to give thanks to that as we continue to worship the Lord. Father God, we thank you that you're a mighty God that we trust in. You're the God who parted the Jordan Sea, the Red Sea. We sometimes forget about those great miracles and think that, boy, what about miracles for my life? God, the greatest miracle is your son Jesus Christ and his life for us. To be able to know that when I die, I can go to heaven to be able to live a life on this earth that is filled with the power of God himself. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can invest and give and share and, Lord, worship you through uh, the stewardship of our lives and the finances that you have entrusted to each of us. Help us now on this journey. As we give, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.